0: This episode of the MedSort Podcast is brought to you by Arena. Arena works with medical device manufacturers to help them bring their products to market quicker and more cost-effectively through their cloud product lifecycle management system. Arena's product lifecycle management system allows every participant throughout product development and commercialization to work together in a centralized system and effectively keep track of product designs, engineering changes, and associated product information to accelerate the design and delivery and ensure regulatory compliance of quality medical device products. You can find out more at arenasolutions.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of the MedSoc Podcast. This is another panel session that was recorded at the 2022 running of the MedSoc Innovation Expo on the MedSec Innovation Conference stage. Joanne McGrath and Julia Eads from Roche Diagnostics along with GP Dr Anne Connolly discuss studies into innovating for women's health and highlight issues to address inequalities. The trio are introduced by Chris Dyke from MediLink Midlands.
1: Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for attending this this session uh, of the uh, MedTech Innovate uh, conferences. Um, We've been joined today by uh, Joanne McGrath, Julia Eads and Dr. Anne Connolly. And they're going to, um, well, perhaps i better tell you a bit about them. Um, Joanne McGrath is Director of Sales and Accounting Management at Rush and her colleague, uh, Janice, is, is Senior Marketing Analyst, and start again, Chris. Uh, Juliet is Senior Marketing Access Manager for Women's Health, uh, obviously a very key aspect to today, and they're joined by Dr. Dr. Dan Connolly, who's a GP with a special interest in women's health. As we've seen over COVID, um, the the women's health issues have become very, very uh, pertinent. And as, as I was saying to the ladies earlier on, um, I was at a, a meeting not long ago, and the whole area of women's health, but also um, those uh, from other ethnicities, and that have been sometimes forgotten, and it's it's a key topic at the moment. And one of the things that I was quite struck by, uh, and it hadn't uh, um, triggered my uh, thoughts, is that um, very often nurses, when they're they're trained to look for sepsis in newborns, um, it's usually with um, European sort of thing, and those with with children with colour those are not being picked up in the same way. And I think that and some of the conversation we'll probably hear about today um, is the sort of things that will hopefully latch in our minds and make us more aware and conscious, and especially me, being um, from the male fraternity, uh, be more aware of the, the issues and, and, and uh, problems that uh, pe- well, people survive uh, and, and ladies, uh, so we can make sure we're... we're a, putting those into our thoughts, our designs, developments of products and services as we move forward. Thank you, ladies. I'm going to hand it over to you to have your conversation and make us aware of a few more things.
2: Thank you. So good afternoon. Um, I'm Joanne, as you can see from the picture. And I'll start with um, one statistic that's 70% of clinical decisions involve a diagnostic Um, And we're going to talk today about innovating to rebalance health inequalities for women. But one statistic that might come as a shock to you is that the UK has found to have the largest female health gap in the G20 countries and the 12th largest globally. But really it's nothing new because research has shown as far back as ancient Greece that there has been inequalities or women have been considered less important in healthcare. The COVID-19 pandemic um, has, of course, um, deepened the cracks in existing health inequalities, with gender-based disparities included in that, and it's rightly forcing greater attention on the challenges to women's health. Um, There are unacceptable inequalities across many disease areas for women, be it misdiagnosis in cardiac or historically under-supported diseases, such as polycystic ovarian syndrome or endometriosis. Um, But women's health is not just important only for women, but for the whole of society. It's great that we're at last starting to hear more about it, and I think we've all experienced the focus recently and the impact of menopause in women in the workplace. The new Women's Health Strategy for England is set to be launched this year, and it spans the whole of a women's lifespan, including HPV screening, which is crucial for um, reducing cervical cancer, testing for preeclampsia and pregnancy, through to menopause care and mental health, and we hope that this will help make a change. So I'd like to introduce you to um, the people I'm having a conversation with today. And first of all, um, Dr. Anne Connolly. Uh, Anne's a GP with special interest in women's health and chair of the Primary Care Women's Health Forum. She recently received an MBA for, MBE for services to women's health and primary care, and she's an advocate for development of women's health hubs to provide women with the service they need near near where they live and you'll hear from, more from Anne soon. And Julia Eads, uh, Julia is my colleague at Roche. She's a senior market access manager for women's health at Roche Diagnostics, and she's worked in women's health for more than 20 years. So I'm going to start off with a question for you, Anne. Um, what do you see as the greatest challenges to women in your GP practice, and what are the most pressing needs of women in terms of disease area or types of support? Uh,
3: thank you, Anne, great to be here. Um, women's health, is been very undervalued uh, and that 's for so many different reasons um, you were talking about the diagnostics that you were just talking about so much of women 's health isn 't number crunching it 's not easy to diagnose and there 's such a spectrum and it 's this life course approach and nice always talk when they 're talking about their women 's health guidance about the physical the psychological and the social well social impact of anything and so you know, when does a woman decide to come to a GP with painful periods? When does she decide to come with heavy periods? You know, what is it that shifts the balance with what she can cope with, and, and how does she know that it's not okay? And, you know, that's, that's any, amongst any group, but particularly amongst some inequalities. So there's been... We're getting some opportunities coming up with sort of making women's health the same power of esteem, the same esteem value as some of the other conditions that we see. And we need to understand that some conditions, such as endometriosis and polycystic ovary syndrome, should be deemed to be long-term conditions. And the earlier we can diagnose, the earlier we can do the prevention stuff, uh, the earlier we can reduce the impact of chronic disease that many women will get from those problems. So it's very multifactorial, but we need to recognize the impact more of the issues that affect women But also, as you point out, the issues that, you know, women are not just little men. And so, so much of the research about other conditions has been done on men. And then it sort of said, oh, and that must apply for women, which of course it doesn't.
2: No, thank you. And I I mentioned the the women's health strategy. Um, Scotland have already published their women's health plan and Wales are working on theirs. And we are waiting on the launch of the women's health strategy being published in England. Hopefully that will start to address the topics you described, but what would you like to see
3: in it to tackle these inequalities? Uh, Certainly more awareness of women's health issues, and we're seeing that with menopause, aren't we? But it needs to be heard from everybody. It's not just the, well, I call them the worried well of Windsor. I work in inner city Bradford, uh, and I always have done, so with a a wide range of diversity uh, and, and deprivation, and so we need to be listening to everybody and making sure that whatever comes out of the Women's Health Strategy, uh, the focus is on delivering whatever services it's about with the woman at the centre and not about the funders, not about the commissioners, it's about what is right in that local area for those that particular population. Because whenever we do generalisations, whenever we make cuts, it is the women who have less, or the women who can't navigate hurdles that fall fastest, and they are the ones who are less likely to, to complain, but also be more compromised. We've seen it during COVID uh, problems all the time. So hopefully it will be about better recognition and empowerment. Excellent. And, and Julia, same question to you. Mm -hmm.
4: So Rosh, we have a priority to drive down inequalities in women's health care, but not just obstetrics and gynaecology, where a lot of the funding and resources are, um, but also in the broader uh, health impact, uh, broader health um, issues that impact women differently or disproportionately. And I think here of uh, things like uh, cardiovascular disease and Alzheimer's. There are some acknowledged areas of unmet um, women's health need, and I hope that the women's health strategies and plans will go some way to addressing these, and what I'm particularly thinking about is to ensure that women's voices are heard, so similar to what Anna's just mentioned, and really listened to and not dismissed, um, and ensure that the men's experience of a symptom of a disease is not treated as the default that this is how diagnosis is reached if you have these particular um, signs and symptoms. Um, And to ensure, stepping back a little bit further, that women are fully represented in in research and clinical trials, and that more health tech focuses on women's unmet needs. Um, And more evidence that the barriers for the underserved women, so be them the BAME community or whatever that might be, that the barriers that they face um, are addressed when thinking about education for women and the wider community. And I think we always bring it back to maternal health, and it does still remain really, really important, um, but we should broaden it out as well.
2: Yeah, and and the reference to maternal health, and, and you mentioned the population of women that you look after. We know that people from minority ethnic backgrounds have experienced drastically poorer um, maternal health outcomes in the UK. Can you tell us a bit more about your experience of this?
3: Uh, so, great, thanks. Uh, um, having been a GP in, in the City of Bradford for many years, obviously I've had the, the patients uh, that I've dealt with, but I was also on the CCG board and my remit was for maternity children, young people um, and, and women's health. Um, and so that, that has been the big challenge about how we improve the maternity outcomes for all women. And part of that is about um, Making services appropriate for all women uh, and not expecting all women to fit one model. You know, we, we know that all women's health, but particularly, and especially maternity, it's all about personalized care and thinking about what are the risks for that woman at that time. So, some of it is about making services more approachable, more accessible, and more acceptable for women so that they'll attend earlier, they'll think about their health and well being prior to conception. Um, and then, some of it is about how we listen to women in the in the environment, in the hospital setting, and I even heard the other day that the maternity system, at some point, was saying, "Well, actually, we find it so hard to find interpreters at times. So we use Google Translate." And I thought, I cannot believe that that is something that is acceptable in a hospital setting in 2022. And and Julia, in terms of diagnostics and
2: medtech, how could do? How do you think they could contribute to improving the health inequalities?
4: Um, I can give an example, actually. So something that we've worked on uh, most recently is an introduction of a test for preeclampsia in pregnancy. So preeclampsia is a condition that affects up to 6% of pregnant women, but it's very difficult to... um, differentiate from other issues um, in hypertension and it's a really serious disorder that can affect both the mum and the baby during the pregnancy so we've worked very hard with local trusts and the academic health science networks to drive the uptake of a placental based uh, growth factor test Um, and we're delighted that there's some new nice guidelines coming out and they're going to expand the use of this test and what it means Is that the mums and the babies will more of them will benefit um, from this test and if I think about bringing some new innovation to the market you you need to understand that market and and preeclampsia testing has gone from nothing to about 10% of all mums-to-be in the last three years Uh, and that's quite a quick um, introduction of an innovation but shows that there is appetite in this space of women's health in maternity and elsewhere um, and I think the market for femtech and the um, no need for it at a really high level, including go- governments, is now there and now being spoken about. And I think introduction of any of these innovations, if it can help reduce the burden on the NHS, be it capacity or, or bed stays, and also the, the backlog due to COVID, then these are all good, good moves forward.
0: Now it's time for a message from this week's sponsor. PTC by itself, I mean, uh, is a Boston-based company. Uh, we are uh, leading uh, when it comes to a digital
2: threat, uh, digitization, let's say. So uh, probably a lot of people know PTC from Pro Engineer in the early days and now, now called Creo. And then PTC has a very broad portfolio now uh, across the, the value chain. Thinking from IoT solutions like ThingWorks, AR solutions like Buforia, uh, PLM solutions like Windchill and, and now Arena, uh, and also CAD solutions, uh, as I just mentioned, like Creo, but also a, a pure SaaS based
0: CAD solution like, like OnShape. So, very broad portfolio serving multiple markets, uh, including life science. And that was a brief message from our sponsor, Arena, a PTC company.
2: Thank you. And and in talking about innovation, we saw the evolution recently of cervical screening to HPV testing, but the COVID-19 pandemic disrupted cervical screening. Um, But even before that, the uptake and attendance levels for smear tests have always really hovered around the 70 percent mark. Um, And that's the same across all the nations of the UK and Ireland. But actually, it's a little bit lower in England. Cancer Research UK did a, a research study which showed that over half of women eligible for cervical screening would prefer some sort of self sampling um, when the patient takes their own sample over the healthcare professional testing them if they were given the choice. So and how do you think we can reach women that don't attend their smear testing, see an improvement in that number, and would
3: self sampling help? I think uh, cervical screening or the HPV story is one of the most exciting at the moment that we've got in women's health um, because we know it's making a massive difference. The HPV immunizations is dramatically reducing uh, low-grade, uh, well, CIN3 and cervical cancer and genital warts. Um, but we still know that there are many women who won't come for their smears because of the myths, because of previous bad experience, because they've heard it's horrendous, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we know with chlamydia screening that self-taken swabs have completely transformed that. So uh, I absolutely support uh, the use of self-taken swabs. I do think it'd be much more acceptable for a lot of women. The challenge is, of course, you've got to make it as good as the current screening program because the current because you can never do something that isn't as good as what is already out there. But I'm sure, I think, this is, it seems that the sensitivity and specificity is enough that we should be pushing for self-taken swabs uh, as the as the triage point, um, and I think it would be very well accepted. And the time saving for the practice nurses and the and the GPs for who are doing smears is a massive opportunity.
2: No, that's that's great and. Um, So thinking beyond some of the gynecological conditions that we've already discussed, there are other disease areas that are not specific to women, but where women are disadvantaged or impacted differently or disproportionately. And one such area is heart failure. So from some research we did in 2020 in collaboration with the Pumping Marvelous Foundation, we know that women wait nearly six times longer for a diagnosis for heart failure and they are 96% more likely to receive an incorrect diagnosis than men. Julia, can you tell us a bit more about the health inequalities in cardiovascular disease? Okay. So I think what we
4: all know is that early and accurate diagnosis of heart failure will help with uh, critical treatment, um, lead to less risks of long-term issues, and and perhaps death as well. But there is evidence at present that women are not being sufficiently listened to. And I think there's a bit of a theme here, because the women's health strategy talks, one of the main things is talking about, women being listened to. Um, And I think that when they present and they seek diagnosis, it can cause women, because they feel they're not listened to for other things, perhaps, to not present um, and not, not ask for treatment. Um, and from the research with Pumping Marvelous, what we also know is that there's these disparities with the, the diagnosis for women. So in the patient survey, as Jo mentioned, it's about 3.6 weeks for a man to get a diagnosis for heart failure, and it's over 20 weeks for a woman. And about 10% of women wait six months to get that diagnosis. So each of these days and weeks and months that pass, These are reducing their potential outcomes as being positive. Um, Women are frequently misdiagnosed because the symptoms they present with aren't always the same as the men's. So they're sometimes told that perhaps they have asthma or anxiety or even acid reflux. And when experts say these stark inequalities um, down to heart problems is is that it's often seen as a man's disease, yet we know that uh, heart disease is a a big killer of women and a big issue for women. our research led to uh, some anecdotal stories from, from patients, and there was uh, a lady called Sarah, and she was actually told by her GP um, that she was fine. It probably wasn't her heart because she was young and female. Um, and then, of course, it just took many more visits for her to finally get that, that diagnosis. Uh, so there's education needed for the patients, but also for the health care professionals in this area. And just to add in, on top of disease is Alzheimer's. So we know that Alzheimer's um, is a big topic at the moment and there's lots and lots of research going on and Alzheimer's Research UK have said to any of the bodies that are involved in this or any of the companies that are going to be providing support that they should ensure that there are both females and males in their research and clinical trials and actually the data from that is uh, disaggregated into sex as well so we can see what the differences might be and then that helps us educate both the patients and the healthcare professional.
2: Thank you. So um, I've got a couple more questions left, one for both of you, and I think one for all of us to answer. Um, So we talked a bit about some of the diagnostic testing that could help reduce these inequalities that we see. How could we make that more accessible for women so that we can start to tackle this? I think we'll start with you, Anne.
3: Uh, So we've got a real opportunity in England at the moment with the restructuring of the ICSs and then down to the uh, local areas and then down to the PCNs. So at the Primary Care Women's Health Forum, we're doing a lot of work about trying to... recognising that GPs are so busy and uh, and we're, we're doing better about involving more of the multidisciplinary teams. We've got a real opportunity to deliver better services between us as local networks, so say at PCN type level. So we're driving a thought about uh, what the RCOG actually set up to start with is about women's health hubs, so looking at your local population needs, thinking what the local population is, using your public health knowledge, thinking about the age, the, the ethnicity, and, and designing a service that's very appropriate in your local area for women to access, and from that you can deliver better care, better services in conjunction with the hospital settings, um, but it will be acceptable because it will be appropriate uh, and very local but the, the other thing is then you can do more diagnostics so you know there's a desperate need for more near pa- near t- patient testing um, so that we can get so that we can drift shift that dynamic with women's health to the left so that we can get more prevention earlier intervention to reduce the long consequences of I'll just shut up now oh yeah <laughs>
2: julia anything that you want to add to that
4: yeah i think that it's clear that there's inequality and i think we can all see and and accept that and and we do need some ambitious solutions to sort of bridge this gap Um, and i think all parts of healthcare have um, a contributory part to play to achieve that Um, and femtech is growing you know we need it to grow more there's definitely opportunities there there's definitely a market there um, and there's definitely some experience um, and I think there'll be say funding there will be some ambition uh, to help people if they can come up with you know good solutions good tests good support apps or any kind of technology that, that can look after women in this way and I think we're great in the UK at, at innovating we're not always brilliant at bringing it through to adoption but what we really need to ensure is that whatever technology or innovation you're looking at is that you consider women preferably from inception right through to adoption but actually can we repurpose anything that you've already got out there that could fit in or help support in in the inequality of women's health care so that's probably my ask and the importance it diagnostics and femtech is so important but yeah it's it's definitely there's a good opportunity here.
2: Yeah, and I think, I think that brings the question to all of us, really. It's, as you're making your way through, through the expo, I think, or if you're involved as, as a company exhibiting here, it's really asking you all to think of, are there those existing or soon-to-market technologies that might have a use in femtech? How might they impact women's health? Could they lead to quicker diagnosis, quicker support, potential for reduced long-term issues? Um, So really just leaving that question with you to see how collectively we can help the fight against inequality as the health system is evolving to create the access that's needed to those technologies. I'd just like to say thank you to Anne and Julia uh, and to all of you for attending today. I mean, diagnostics are at the cornerstone of good health and there is so much we can already do using the right test at the right time to enable swift decision-making and improve outcomes for women albeit if we sometimes are a little bit slow to adopt in this country but let's work together to try and accelerate that and achieve it even more thank you very much
1: well i asked for a few things to spark things in my mind um, but thank you i've got a few but before i do that um any questions to the panel that you'd like to raise? Ah, the young lady at the back, I believe, uh, right inside. Thank you, Costa. How many people uh, in the audience before the young lady asks a question um, are product developers or involved in bringing new products to market? Perhaps a show of hands. Two or three. Uh, those from the healthcare sector. Delivery. Right. Okay. Thank you.
2: Um, I have a question for Dr. Connolly. Do you have any advice for people diagnosed with conditions such as polycystic ovary syndrome on how to sift through misinformation and conflicting opinions from different healthcare professionals to receive appropriate care and prevent, sorry it's a mouthful, (laughs) and prevent uh, conditions such as diabetes and cardiovascular disease? So for example, my GP asked why I wanted to get sterilized when women with polycystic ovary syndrome are less likely to fall pregnant.
3: Uh, Well, I can only apologize on behalf of the medical profession you were treated so badly. Um, So as GPs, we have to know something about everything and it's really, really hard, which is why uh, we believe that the primary care women's health forum, we need to do better about local service delivery because something like polycystic ovary syndrome, you know. Is it really a gynae condition? It probably isn't. Just someone found some cysts on an ovary, it's endocrine. And the way we talk about it is, is like pre-diabetes or, or even diabetes, so, so treat it as that. It's a long-term condition. Um, but in med school, we're often taught, or, or going through our careers, we're often taught about making diagnoses, giving answers, giving solutions. Um, and then if that doesn't work, then try something different. And and things like endometriosis, PCOS, are brilliant examples of, well, it could be that, couldn't be that, it sort of sits on a spectrum, and actually, what is it at that point you want me to deal with? And so we deal with the spots, we deal with the fertility, we deal with the longer-term problems. But we need to wrap it up better in a whole. Um, and it's probably endocrine rather than gynae. Um, so it, it's a very so we need better recognition, we need better recognition of long-term conditions. we need better let's say parity of esteem of the these these conditions and so people understand them better. there's better education, there's that that's there's that life course approach to it. So it's about changing mindset really. Um, but it may be that that care, you know, You don't need necessarily see a specialist to have that care, but you need to see somebody who is better than a a general generalist, I think. And although I can talk about PCOS and endometriosis until the cows come home, because that's what I do, you know, I do women's health. You know, if you came to see me these days wanting the latest guidance on a dermatological or cardiovascular problem, I'm probably not your best person. So it's really hard to be generalist, but we do need to listen, and we do need to, as I said at the very beginning, understand the physical, psychological, and social impacts of women's health problems. And you can't number crunch. I don't know if that answers the question, but I apologise on behalf of your GP.
1: Uh, l- lady in the front, please,
0: and
2: um, Do you think one reason why we've got um, like lack of data on female symptoms is because there's kind of a conception that females are less likely to come forward and kind of um, ask the questions or kind of show, tell people what is wrong. And if so, how do we then encourage more people to kind of come forward and help educate, like what their symptoms are and what it could lead to?
4: So I think there's a historic hangover from particularly those disease areas like cardiac or Alzheimer's where recruitment into trials was predominantly men. And even before that it would be middle-aged white men you know it it would go further and further in that way so I think that initially it will sit with those that are doing the research and that there should be um, a set perhaps percentage that have to be that have to be women Um, and then there's that education piece that there's the education piece for the for women themselves but also for men so we know, so we look at the audience, we knew the audience would be predominantly female, so we were quite happy to see some males in here because uh, women's health really impacts on the whole of society, be it care of children, care of the elderly, care of, of males as well. <laughs> okay? So its it does have such a huge impact. So it's really important that everyone thinks about it from whatever perspective you're sitting at. So women, yeah, to be encouraged to be included in research, women to, um, be reassured that we listen to and have a voice and be confident to have that voice going forward
2: and I think you referenced it earlier with the Alzheimer's study designing it in such a way that you're um, c- capturing the data and making it gender specific because that analysis will then tell you is there something different and I think it, as long as we keep learning and keep educating ourselves then people will see that there is something specific more to female and we should see more females coming forward Thank
1: you. Anyone else? Um, A couple of words that come to mind uh, listening to you ladies is education, awareness and potentially opportunity. And the opportunity is a couple of things. Education for everyone. Um, I know recently my company has been doing wellness and they've been looking at menopause. And I think it's just important to us as male managers to understand what our our staff are going through as well as for for our our staff that may be going through uh, those sort of changes. Um, And so it's that awareness thing. Um, Coming to the lady that was asking a question about data, um, I used to work uh, in GP data systems and ladies' records were huge. And I think the opportunity comes is to actually use some of that data that's there to actually start pulling and answering those questions that need to be answered. Education of ladies that have or present these problems to understand it is a problem like the lady at the back that was asking about her her, her situation, um, and the, educating them that and giving them, sorry, opportunities to be able to ask those questions, but also to point that up. And you've given some great examples today, and, I, and I've worked that's now gonna sit in my my mind, femtech, um, you know, a new market opportunity, and a lot of the businesses and people that are here uh, over the next two days are looking for those next niche areas. And, you know, going back to the previous speaker that was speaking about AI, you can see all this merging, not only to possibly answer the questions that anybody might have that they think they might have a situation, um, but also to say, yes, you do need to go to see your doctor. Uh, again, a bit like um, Harash uh, uh, was showing us with the Babylon serous sort of system. I've experienced this, I've experienced that. But the other side of opportunity, and I, and I think, you know, um, you, you, when you were talking about Bradford, there are large sections of our community. Because of various ethnic cultural issues, don't necessarily feel or have an opportunity except from their own cohort of uh, close friends and family, perhaps, who might not be the best advisors, you know, be like, you know, your dad's probably the worst person to teach you to drive, then perhaps you know, people unless they've experienced that problem. And so, what do you think to broadening the education and the opportunities for people in say those situations to come forward and perhaps not just try and get a GP appointment. You know, is is, is there ways forward? Do you see things coming forward, or what would you like as part of that strategy uh, document you were talking about to answer that sort of aspect to allow those people to come forward?
3: Well, well, certainly it's about ed- education and awareness, and Doctor Google is hopeless. You know, So so it's about appropriate education. And we know that the schools are now doing better uh, reproductive health, PHSE or whatever the latest, RSE or whatever Please. it's called Please. these days. Um, but, you know, there is better education coming through for schools. It's got to be done appropriately and it can't be... You know, the male geography teacher suddenly having to talk about period problems to young girls. You know, it's got to be done in 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 a sensitive way that's culturally appropriate as well. And that should empower that cohort. But there's a big group that have already missed that boat who are still going to come through for years to come. And if you look at... So one of the things the Women's Health Strategy talks about is making better information available. But if you think about period problems... It's hard to find some decent information about that on the internet or, or, or polycystic ovary syndrome. Okay, patient.info is reasonable. Um, but it's it's about how we can, you know, you've got to drive it. Like menopause at the moment, you know, there's such a HRT has just gone wild in primary care at the moment. And that is because the likes of Davina McCall are shouting about it and empowering women to, to go and demand that. And of course, the worried well will go and do that, but Mrs. Megan from my my South Asian population in the centre of Bradford, she won't won't be watching that or or doing that. So it's about how you make that appropriate for all. But that's why local services, I think, are the answer. And really engage in the voluntary sector. So in Bradford, we've got a women's health network who, who help us really get right down into the detail of of how to get the more appropriate messages across and what would be you know how can we increase cervical screening rates amongst that population there or the romani population there or the you know the the white estate that sits there so it's about really understanding what people's needs are and then making sure that the information is right but that costs that takes effort and it costs and with the nhs as it is and with the cuts you know, it's often, oh, well, well, we'll cut that, we'll cut that, we'll cut that, we'll cut that. And so you make services more remote. We've got to go backwards, and we've got to do more about prevention, early intervention, education, and testing earlier. You know, it's absolutely right, the femtech stuff. Getting a diagnosis of PCOS, how do you do it? It's a bit vague, possibly on a few symptoms, endometriosis, just the same. You know, you, you give us a test to do that, then, then someone's immediately on a pathway of care. Am I add
4: to that. Um, so I think that you would initially see a GP, and once you have that diagnosis, whether it's supported by Femtech or not, we've talked about particularly PCOS and endometriosis being long-term conditions, and that is where an opportunity sits with Femtech as well, because you can't go back to your GP every six weeks to to check on this for the rest of your life or the the rest of this hormonal phase of your life so actually is there something femtech wise that can support you that can help you not become diabetic that can um, help you make sure you have good heart health that you're exercising that you're checking your weight what is it that that can be done to support that lady independently once they've received that diagnosis, actually, of whatever it is, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, and I think
2: I smiled when that question was asked, asked because we had this conversation at lunch because I'm in the same position. I have PCOS and I got diagnosed when I was 19 years old. And I have tried to. And it's finding the right information. I think the question was really well posed. It's, there's lots of information out there if you Google, but it's finding the right information and how can you better empower? So there, 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 are, there are younger women we can educate, um, but the, like Anne said, there's a lot now, we've missed the boat there, but there is a huge cohort that could you could empower and to self-educate and really learn how to manage their condition because Essentially, in a lot of these different disease areas, that's what it is. It's a long-term condition that you need to learn to manage, yeah. to work alongside the strains that the healthcare system already find themselves in.
1: I think your preeclampsia test is part of MedTech mandate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's a great step forward because health services have to say when they're not using it, as opposed to they wish to use it. So we hope hope and wish for you luck there. But I guess the other side is that whole sort of tariff aspect that might go along with, with, with products. So if there is a lady with a specific condition where she might need to go on some cyclic sort of test um, so that as opposed to going through um, a GP, there may be a tariff system to do that to ensure she's still on track. And I guess that education process is quite interesting in the storyline going through Coronation Street with young ladies going through early menopause. Um, that's all part of that sort of education process. Or I guess as the audience was, or is mainly ladies, I guess, this is your challenge as well, not only for your own health, but perhaps to push whatever company or organization you're with to engage in this type of work. And perhaps, as we saw or we heard uh, today, there is um, a need to do more specific research in in these issues. Um, and I know, talking to somebody else not long ago, medication, the dosage of particular drugs, should be potentially different uh, across sexes, let alone ethnicities and everything else. Um, you know, are these areas that you can get involved in, you can engage in, and push the agenda? There is funding out there to do all sorts of interesting research, and some of it comes around through like SBRI, i for i etc. Maybe it's it's time for you to look at those to perhaps move these things forward, and then help the technologist uh, develop the, uh, the femtech. I love that phrase uh, to to develop it um, uh, to, to match. Um, no more questions, right? Oh, unless there's anything else you would ladies like to, to 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 say at the end. Um, I'd like to thank our team here today. Uh, I wish I could remember all the names, but I can't. But um, the, the ladies that have spoken so eloquently about this problem, this topic and how we might actually move forward. Thank you.
3: Thank you. you.